have the word of the Lord if we turn back to Ephesians chapter 2. Chapter 2. You know, our, our God is, is so good unto us, and we can see this. You know, as we read, you know, we go through chapters 1 through 3, they're doctrinal, and 4 through 6 is practical. And so we look at it, and that's why in verse 4, when it tells that we should not be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, the slight of man whereby they lie in wait to deceive the deceived, because he's given us in one through three those doctrinal things that we can stand fast in. But in Ephesians chapter two, let's read verses one through five. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past and the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. So if we look at in verse 1, and even in a little bit at the beginning of verse 2, You know, the Apostle Paul is dealing with things that were in the past, Brother Roger. He was dealing with things that were in the past because in verse 1 he says, And you hath he quickened who what? Were dead in trespasses and sins. That's the past tense. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. And in verse 2 it's wherein in what? In time past. There it's a little more clear, isn't it? Wherein in time past. So when we can see that and you hath he quickened. Now we got to remember and understand when you go through the King James Version of the Bible, when you see anything in there that's in italics, that means that it was not in the original manuscript. It was added by the people that uh, interpreted the Bible. Okay? So, but we can see that from there, it says, and you hath he quickened. That word quickened means gave life to. He has given us spiritual life, who were dead in trespasses and sins. So you can understand why the people, as they looked at, looked at this, why they added that. Because you were dead in your trespasses and sins, and he has given you life. He's given you spiritual life. So we know that in in Genesis... Uh, in the Garden of Eden, that um, the serpent came to Eve and said, has not God said that you could any, eat anything of the fruit in here? Yeah. Eve said, yeah, we can do except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Can't eat of that. And Satan tempted her and said, well, you know, she started looking at it and it's, it's, there's nothing in the Bible that says that it was ever an apple, Brother Roger. You know what I mean? So, but it was a fruit that was to be desired. It looked good. I don't know if you could smell it or not. Like a peach, you can kind of smell the peach. It smells, you know, you can tell that. But I'm sure that when, of course, she took the bite out of it, it probably tasted good, but it opened up her eyes. But remember what God said, in the day you eat of the fruit, you shall surely die. Now, 
Eve gave to her husband and said, go ahead and eat this. Of course, Eve gave it to Adam and said, you know, here, why don't you take a bite out of this? It's really pretty good, tastes good and everything. Of course, Adam didn't know where Eve had got the fruit from. And so what did he do? He took a bite and ate it. And again, his eyes were opened as her eyes were opened. And what did it? They realized what, Brother Roger? They said they were naked and they sewed fig leaves or whatever around them or tried to do it so that they could, they could cover themselves. But we look at it and what God was talking about was they were not going to die physically. They were what? They were going to die spiritually. And so as we are all in Adam, we are dead spiritually. Or I should say we were dead spiritually. If you're a child of God, you were dead spiritually. You're dead in your trespasses and sins. And we need to be so thankful that we have the whole word of the Bible. We know that God sent his only begotten son into the world to die for our sins. We look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We can see those things. He has died for our sins and what we could not do because what? We were dead spiritually. We could not be, any of in mankind could not be the sacrifice could sin because what? It had to be without spot and without blemish. And we are all with spot and with blemish in our lives. So we looked that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. When I look back on my life and I see Brother Roger, I, I didn't, I, I did some pretty maybe mean things, some awful things in my life. And I mean, I didn't do anything. I, I could sit there and be like people and say, well, you know, I didn't kill anybody. So, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty good person and everything, but you know, the only thing that could cleanse me from my sin was our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I could never do anything to atone for the sins that I did in my past. I can't even atone for the sins that I commit today or in the future. Only Jesus Christ can do that. So verse 1 is really kind of setting up the rest of these first, first five or eight, nine, ten verses here in Ephesians chapter 2. And he goes on, the Apostle Paul, he continues to write. And he says, wherein in time past, wherein, wherein in time past, you walked according to the course of this world. And we look back on that and we can all say like a lot of people, well, yeah, I walked according to the course of this world. But again, I didn't murder. I didn't steal. You know, I, I, I didn't do this or that. Like the one guy, well, all these things I've kept from my youth up, what lack I yet? And what did Jesus say to him? Sell all that you have and give to the poor. But here it says, you know, we walked according to the course of this world. And when we get to world, there's a comma. And there's kind of like a, a statement in between this. 
And it says, according to the prince of the power of the air. The prince of the power of the air. Now, I remember I, I looked at that and said, you know, when we, when we look at this, who is that? You know, these people, when we look at it, these people at Ephesus and even us today, Brother Roger, it says, you know, the one note I wrote down, they were deserving of the wrath of God. And I should change that if I keep these notes, Brother Roger, say, we, we are deserving of the wrath of God today. Which comes upon the children of disobedience, which we were. We were. Remember the last time when we were talking about this, the key word here is were. Were. Dead. Not only dead in Adam, but dead morally and spiritually. You know, and now we're looking at it, that we were the children of disobedience whom they had their conversation with. Some people say that conversation, you can really kind of say their walk. So they had their walk with these people. They were walking the same way they were walking. We were walking the same way as they were walking. According to the prince of the power of the air. Isn't it when we look at this and we can see this? You know, Satan is that prince of the power of the air. But we got to understand, it doesn't mean that he's in control of the air. God is what? God is in control of everything. You know, a bill of, if, if saying that I believe that God is in control of everything in this world, if that makes me an absoluter, then that, that's fine. Call me an absoluter. But I believe God's in control of everything. You know, if, if, if we, if we would just realize how many times that Jesus has held us back from sinning in this world. He holds us back, let me tell you. And when we realize that, that he does hold us back, we don't even realize it. That helps us to understand what I say, that God is working in the background in our lives. He's working in the background. We don't see a lot of the things that he's working on in the background. Maybe he slows us down while we're driving and we didn't get into an accident. You know, when we look at, at, at people driving the wrong way, Gary, on the highway, I look at that and I think, wow, how could anybody do that? There's big signs in everywhere. But if you're on drugs or if you're, you're, you've been drinking too much and whatever, you might not be aware of your surroundings. But God does hold us back. We have to understand that God and Jesus have a vested interest in our lives. You understand? He has a vested interest in our lives. Because he's the one, as we were talking with, with Albert, and when we realize that the Lamb's Book of Life, when was it written? Before the foundation of the world. Do we understand that? How, how really important that is? Before he said, let there be light and there was light. Or he formed the earth and everything. Before any of this. Before he created anything. 
before he created Adam and then caused to sleep upon Adam and he made Eve. Before all of these events in Genesis, he wrote the Lamb's Book of Life. And if we look at it, as I was, we were talking and it said, in Revelation, what does it say? All those whose names were not found written in the book of life were cast into the lake of fire. Now that's when we realize that God knows everything. Because he knew your name. We got to understand it's just not our names, but those in the future until the second coming of Christ. These are their names are also written in there. These are people that might not realize that they're a child of God. But because their names are written in there, they are a child of God by relation. By relation, you could say, well, how do you how do you understand that? How do you how do you say we're by relation? Ephesians chapter 1, Albert actually said this, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children. We have been adopted into his family. We're part of his by relation and by the blood of Jesus Christ who died for us. According to what? What does it say the rest there? According to the good pleasure of his will. The good pleasure of his will. He's in control of everything. Looking in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 10, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather to gun, I meant verse 11, but we'll go that. In one, all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh, what does it say there, Brother Roger? He worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. Now, how can anybody say that God is not in control? I can go to the Old Testament, look at the book of Job, look at Joseph, and say, who was in control of all those situations? Was Job in control? Was Joseph in control? No, God was in control. So, even though Satan is called the prince of the power of the air, he's not in control of the air. He's not in control of anything but his own people. Those whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life. The Spirit, the Spirit. Now, when we look at the Bible and how it is written, it is amazing as we look at it and we see that God knows all of this. He knows everything, doesn't he? Doesn't he, darling? He knows everything. The children that now worketh in the children of disobedience. We can see that, Bill. It's not, it's not that he worked in the children of obedience back then and he doesn't, he doesn't today. All through these ages, when everybody read this, it's that now works in the children of disobedience. But we have to go back in the beginning and 
when, wherein in time past he walked according to the course of this world. We were dead in trespasses and sins. As we look at these things, we can see just, just so much, you know, even as others, you know, even as others, the rest of the world, the whole world was walking this way. It's not just in the United States. The United States is a very sinful nation, but there's a lot of sinful nations around this world. There's a lot of nations that don't believe in God. So when we can see how awesome it is, you know, it's, it's amazing when we, when we look at all of these things and can see this. It's just, yeah. You know, when we look and we can see this, you know, Satan has great influence over those. He had a great influence over us. When we look at it, he had great influence over us. We didn't want to join the church. We didn't want to be a part of the church. We did go to church. Sometimes it was not willingly. Sometimes we had to go. But he, Satan operates powerfully in unbelievers. as it goes in the very end, children of disobedience. Even though our names were written in the Lamb's Book of Life, doesn't mean that we were not children of disobedience. We were. I remember my father-in-law. We're just miserable people. Miserable people. Even the Apostle Paul, he writes in Romans, the things that I would, I do not. The things that I, I do not, I do. What he's saying is there's things that he knew that he didn't, he wasn't supposed to be doing, but he did. And the things that he knew he was supposed to do, he wasn't doing them. And even if Paul admits, he can't deny the fact he persecuted the church of God. So we can look at the life of Paul and see how he was. But then God spoke to him. On the road to Damascus. When God spoke to him, what did he say? What will thou have me to do? What do you want me to do? I'm yours. Take me. Do it. Do what you want with him. And they led him into the city, to the house. Because they'd missed the darkness that come upon him. He couldn't see. He had to be led by them. You know, and Ananias didn't even want to go there, did he? Oh, no, Lord, I don't want to go there. This is the one. He's got, he's got a letter. It says if he's found any of the way. So evidently he was scared enough that he realized he was of the way. And he knew that, well, back then his name was Saul. Paul could take him. Say, hey. But what did, what did Jesus say to Ananias? Go, for he is a chosen vessel. He's, Paul is a chosen vessel. So, we knew that Saul's name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life. 
But when he didn't know or think he was a child of God, we look at it and we say, what? God knew he was a child of God. And remember, if, if sometimes you can see that, that you have to be brought to a certain point in your life. And Paul had been brought to that certain point in his life. And Jesus had kind of said, okay, enough is enough. Come unto me, all ye that labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For what does he say? My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come unto me. That's what happened. Jesus didn't give him an invitation. Jesus what? Gave him a commandment. And when it says, come unto me, he's not asking. He's telling. He's telling you. And that's what he did. He told Paul, come unto me. I will show you what you need to do. Wow. And it's the same with all of us. Maybe not as dramatic as, as Paul, but he does. If we look in verse 3, among whom also we all had our conversation or our walk and times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath even as others. When we look at that, but see, we can't dwell on the negative, Carl. It's easy to dwell on the negative, isn't it? But he's saying, let's dwell on the positive. Among whom also we all had our conversation in times past. In times past, we had our we had our walk in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by what's the key word here, brother Roger? Nature. You were by nature the children of wrath. These are things when we look at that. Our conversation, because it belongs to our human nature. Nature, natural. The natural man cannot receive the things that be of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto them, neither can he know them, because they are what? Dis spiritually discerned. Okay, we're going to go back to, we're going to go to where Brother Roger's been, uh, Brother Roger, yeah, boy, I'm getting tongue-tied. Brother Leroy's been preaching. Let's go to First John chapter 2. First John chapter two. We're going to read verses 15 through 17. I could continue on for a long ways, but we'll just, just stop that. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, let's, Listen to what we're saying. The lust of the flesh and the lust of the eye and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away and the lust thereof. But he that doeth or lives or, or practices the will of God abideth or lives forever. Forever. So when we look in here in verse 3, we can see kind of the things that are in there, you know, how we were, you know. You know, here John is exhorting us, don't love the world. 
neither the things that are in the world. You know, we have to be in the world, and I know you've probably heard this many times, we have to be in the world, but what is a single? We don't have to be of the world. So we can see, neither the things that are what? In the world. Just like what it says. It doesn't say money is the root of all evil, does it, Brother Roger? It says the love of money is the root of all evil. Neither the things that are in the world, if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not him. If you're loving the world, you're caught up in the world, the love of the Father is not in you. The Bible's very plain about that. They're not wishy-washy. We can be wishy-washy sometimes, can't we? Like I said, you know, we have to take this whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation as it is. Okay? There's a lot of people in the world, there's probably a lot of primitive Baptists in this world that they wanted that no 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 that's I like this I don't like that so I'm going to live according to this and not according to that you have to take it all or none so we look at it you know we look at this for the for all that is in the world the lust of the flesh what does it say in Ephesians chapter two that we had our conversation at times in the lusts of our flesh fulfilling of the desires of the flesh. And of the mind for the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the father, but is of the world. See, we, we got to understand what it's saying in here. You know, when we look at it. The world's going to pass away, isn't it? All of this is going to be melt with a fervent heat. What is the Bible? What manner of persons ought you to be then? That's what it's saying. in Verse 17, the world passed away and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God, what does it say? You're going to live forever. Abideth forever, lives forever. He's just so good at us, good to us and everything. Look at this. All of these things. You know, man is naturally a sinner. Man is naturally a sinner. That's what he's saying. That's what they're saying here. He's naturally a sinner as we look at this stuff. And I like that. Remember, I like the way Paul talks. I like, and I guess I'm saying, I like the way Paul writes. Because in verse 3, when he starts out, he says, among whom also we all had. Our conversation. We all had. Paul's saying, I was in that same way because we can see what he was like before the, on the road, before the road to Damascus. You can see by reading the scriptures how he lived his life. We all had our conversation times passed on the lusts of our flesh. Gotta remember, he's always still talking about us, you know. Fulfilling the desires of the, oh, excuse me, and my, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Even as others. The rest of the world. But in verse four and five, remember I said, Carl, sometimes we like to dwell on the negative, but in verse four and five, we get a lot of positive, reinforcement here for a child of God. You know, it's, it's so awesome when we look at this. 
but God. But God, who is rich in mercy. He's the God of all mercy, isn't he? But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us. Now, just reading verse 4, it gives you a lot of hope, doesn't it? Rich in mercy for his great love with which he loved us. You know, we can go to Ephesians chapter 3 and read verses 17 through 19. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being, that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. I want to read verse 20. Brother, Brother Leroy quotes this a lot. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. Let's just read that end. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. But when we look at 79, it's talking about that love of God. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. That ye, see now before he said we, but now he's saying that you being rooted and grounded in love. Paul knew that he had been changed. Paul knew that he was rooted and grounded in love. But now he's trying to exhort those into the future. You know, and looking and saying that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend so Paul's telling us, when we look at it, that we're rooted and grounded in love, and because we're rooted and grounded in love, and we are, we are, we are made spiritually alive by what happened at the beginning of chapter two here, that we're going to be able to comprehend. You can now comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height. It's four dimensions, the four dimensions. You're going to be able to comprehend all of this. And not only you're going to be able to comprehend, what does it say in verse 19? And to know the love of Christ. We are going to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. It's beyond all of our knowledge that we can, in our little, little minds that we have, to know the love of Christ. Path knowledge that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Praise, praise the Lord for these words that have been written in here that God laid upon the hearts of all these men to talk about this. You know, He really is an awesome God. But you know, it doesn't stop in verse 4, does it? It's talking about the great love wherewith he loved us. Here he goes again. Us. It's that great love that he loved Paul that on the road to Damascus, that light shined round about him. Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Who art thou, Lord? I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. I'm not going to quote it all the way. What will you have me to do? Even when we were dead in sins, 
So it's with the great love with which the, he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together or made us alive together with grace, with, yeah, with Christ by what? By whose grace you are saved. So how can any man say that he saved souls when it says right here, by the grace of Jesus Christ, we are saved. And I know you can go down to verse 8 and say, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Evidently, these people don't have the same Bible we have, Brother Roger. And we know there's other versions of the Bible that that turn this to whatever they want it to mean and believe. I'm glad we have the King James Version of the Bible, and it's interpreted the way it is right here. So when we look at this and we see when a soul that is dead in a moral or spiritual sense is quickened and made alive, they can feel the load and weight of sin and see their lost state and condition. See, when we're doing this, he makes us alive, we can see. We can see. And we're not very proud, we're not very happy of what we see, do we? We don't see that. We see their lost state and condition. It's just, it's, it's unbelievable when we can see that and see. It's, it's hard for me to comprehend not when I was doing some things that I, that I, like I said earlier, that I was not proud of doing. And I think we can all look back on our lives and see the same thing because we're all we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. It's hard for me to look at it. I, I can look at it now and see it, but it's hard back when I was doing some of these things that God loved me. that God actually loved me back then. It's like I said, when we look back and we say, you know, even when we didn't know we were a child of God, he knew we were. And he was watching over us. As Job, as Satan said to, to God, does Job fear you for naught? Hasn't he built a hedge around? You built a hedge around Job. Yeah, he's going to fear you. He's taking care of him. He was one of the richest men in the world. And after he went through all of this, what happened, Brother Roger? He gave more than what he had before. He didn't ask for it. God gave it to him. God is so good unto us. Wow. He's quickened us, made us alive. I really do like the book of Ephesians. It's filled with so much. So much to give us hope in this present world in which we live. That's what I, that's what I like so much about it. Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickness or gave us life together. In closing, I want to read this, this last little sentence that I wrote, this note I wrote. It 
It's not all mankind. It's not all mankind, but particular persons. We believe in particular redemption, Brother Roger. I'll take that to my grave. (laughs) Particular persons who were. And if you can see my notes, I got three little lines underneath were. Who were by nature the children of wrath. The children of wrath. By nature, the children of wrath. We were the children of disobedience. But God, when he's looking at verse 4 and 5, he's he's talking about those particular people that were chosen in him before the foundation of the world, as it says, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. I thank you for your kind attention this morning.